Packers Daily with Jason Mertides. All right, here it is, your Wednesday, April 7th edition of Flyers Daily with Jason Mertides. A missed opportunity. Flyers come back and tie the game in the second period with God, one of the most dominating periods they've had all season long. And it wasn't just a dominating period. They also came out of it with a great result. Two goals for, no goals against. Outshoot Boston in the second period, 25-7. to I mean, they were more than doubling the Boston Bruins shots through 40 minutes of play. So you head to a third period, and you've got a tie hockey game, and you're a team that's been really good in the third period uh, this season. Where From a goal standpoint, Flyers are fifth in the NHL in third period goals coming into this game, but they're unable to get anything in the third period. Eventually, shorthanded, and I know that's a whole other level of frustration when you talk about shorthanded and, and the Flyers' power play right now. Um, because they need the power play to be able to give them goals in those key situations. It's just not happening. And at 821 into the third period, Brad Marchand, of all people, gets on that two-on-one for the Boston Bruins, and it's executed well. And Marchand is able to slide that puck through the wickets of Carter Hart, and that gives them a 3-2 lead eventually. Patrice Bergeron gets the empty net goal for the hat trick, four goals in the last two games for Bergeron. And while he maybe was uh, um, partly responsible for the Bruins losing on Monday night in overtime, first of all with getting the shot blocked and then falling down uh, on the rush attempt by Travis Sanheim, he was every bit as good in this game uh, against the Flyers uh, last night. He was all over the ice controlling the game, and that's what Patrice Bergeron does. I've called him the perfect hockey player, which is why what we saw on Monday night was so rare for him to make that kind of mistake and get a shot blocked as the high point man. But that being said, the Boston Bruins, uh, they get the win. Flyers did uh, have 38 shots through the first two periods for the first time since 2017 when they had 38 through two periods of play at Anaheim. And the last time the Flyers had more than 25 shots in a single period was back on February 11th, 2019. Uh, when they set the club mark for shots in a period with 28 in a third period versus the Penguins. But ultimately, they come away from this game with no points. They had an opportunity to take three. They had an opportunity to take four of the points away from the Boston Bruins in a third period, you know, win a period, win a game. That's the mentality mentality going into that third period. And they're just unable to get it done. It's kind of a microcosm, I guess, of the season in, in a way. We're going to hear from Elaine Vigneault, uh, after the game and kind of get his thoughts and you know what does it what does this loss mean though before we get to Elaine Vigneault we're gonna ask her Twitter questions as well but what does this loss mean well it means a couple of things one it's gonna get it's really difficult they have 18 games left and the team that you're chasing for that fourth and final playoff spot is Boston and you didn't get within a point tonight where a win would have gotten you there but now you're five points back, and they still have two games in hand. Not only that, but the Rangers, because they belted the Pittsburgh Penguins, are now tied with you in points. They're literally identical records. The only difference in the records is 46 goals. Now, what do I mean by that? The Rangers have played 38 games. The Flyers have played 38 games. Each of their record is 18, 15, and 5. Each team, ROW. Regulation and overtime wins, 17. Shootout wins, each team, one. Shootout loss, one more for the Flyers, three. Two for the New York Rangers. 
But what, what do I mean by the 46? Well, the Flyers are minus 24 in goal differential. The Rangers are plus 22. That's the difference. That's the difference. And we know what happened in March, 75 goals against, and why the number is as skewed as it is. Uh, but that's the reality of the situation. And it's almost hard to believe that two teams in the same league, only playing the same teams as each other, and you know the, the seven opponents in your division, they can have an identical record, but one team can be plus 22 in goal differential, and another can be minus 24. I guess the really disturbing part of that is that the, the Devils, who have 32 points, nine points back of the Flyers and Rangers, are minus 27 in goal differential. It's pretty wild, uh, but that's uh, just a number inside a number right now. Uh, the Flyers have a serious uphill battle to climb. They'll get the Bruins again on Saturday. Uh, before we get to Saturday against the Bruins, it'll be Thursday uh, against the New York Islanders, and then Saturday against the Bruins at home at 2 o'clock, and then Sunday uh, against the Buffalo Sabres at 2 o'clock. But we're all leading up to the trade deadline, just five days away. And what happens in these games will likely determine the tact or the tactics of Chuck Fletcher. Will he trade away some guys on expiring deals to get some assets in return, draft picks or whatever it might be? Very possible. We'll talk about those in Twitter questions as well. But let's get to the head coach. Elaine Vigneault addressed the media after the loss. Here's what he had to say. You guys obviously dominate the second period, but... Uh... Uh, how much of a head scratcher is it that you only were able to muster four shots and not get much going at all in the third period? Well, I mean, give them credit. They're they're a good team. They're an experienced team. Uh, so, uh, you know, after us coming out, I thought we played real well in the first period, extremely well in the second. Uh, they tightened things up a little bit. It was tougher for, for us to get through. They didn't have a lot of looks either, so... Unfortunately, on the power play, we lost the puck and gave them a, a, a real good opportunity. And, uh, you know, their uh, top-end players tonight were real good. Elaine, um, you said after some games this year that you guys maybe have lost, that you guys maybe deserved a better result. But at this point of the season, does deserving a better result really even matter, considering where you are in the standings? No, uh, you know, we knew what was at stake going into this game. Uh, I thought our guys played urgency, thought we played the right way. We checked when it was time to check. We didn't give them a lot of looks. <clears throat> we got some great looks. We weren't able to finish, and uh, they were able to finish. Uh, so that was the difference in tonight's game. Elaine, can you uh, just explain your decision to uh, move Oscar up uh, with, with Coots's line, I guess, midway through the first period? Yeah, I thought... Uh, you know, Joel lately uh, uh, hasn't been as as effective as as before. I, th I felt that Oscar being fresh, him and Coots have got some past chemistry. Uh, thought that uh, might be able to get that back, and uh, you know they played against the, the top their top line tonight uh, at starting at that point and. Uh, you know, sometimes those tweaks work, sometimes they don't, but uh, it wasn't from lack of effort. I thought that line got some looks and uh, it, their goaltender made some big saves at the right time. Uh, just wondering, what did you see on that power play that resulted in Markheim's uh, sh shorthanded goal? I mean, we, we just uh, lost the puck at the, at, uh, at the wrong place. Our guys are trying to make the, the right play. And, uh, you know, they've got two of the best penalty killers and two of the best forwards in the league that, uh, you know, were able to capitalize. 
Hey, Elaine, you had um, two of their goals, um, second uh, Bergeron goal and then the, the shorthanded one, came after you guys had very good chances. Um, what does that do to a team when you come that close to scoring, whether, you know, Lawton's breakaway or connected by the side of the net and boom, it goes the other way? I mean, you know, that that's that's the game. I mean, you, you, when you get your opportunities, uh, you got to make the other team pay and, uh, when uh, they get opportunities, hopefully you, you get a save that uh, you know gives you confidence and momentum. Tonight, uh, like you said, both those opportunities, we're getting some great A looks that we're not able to bury, and they're able to find the back of the net. So give them credit. Yeah, Evie, how would you uh, evaluate Carter Hart tonight? Carter's a young goaltender playing a real tough position, and he's just trying his best. There are elements of that game that – and here's the thing. you know, I thought Shane Gossespierre – played extremely well in the game. I thought that Sam Moran played extremely well in the game. I didn't like the penalty that they called him Moran. If that's a rough, then I'm not going to complain about the refereeing. But, I mean, that's a, that's that's not a rough. If that's a rough in hockey now, let's just fold up the tent because that's just a good hit. And, and it was a rough and tumble hockey game. Like, have a little feel. All of a sudden, I thought some guys had a really good game. It didn't happen. You didn't get a win. And you know, there's no moral victories at this point. Moral victories are over. They, they have put themselves in a position where you can't go, hey, I like the way that they played. I like the process. I just don't like the result. The result has to be there, whether you like the process, don't like the process, whatever it might be. It was already a shortened season, which is why we kind of preached at the beginning of the year that, hey, why are you worried about shots? The team is winning games. Who gives a damn? You don't get points in the standings for having more shots than the opponent. But eventually – it caught up to the Flyers. And even though they've outshot teams handily oh, really through March and then in, into this month, it doesn't mean wins. And, you know, in a shortened season, each game are automatically means more. But when you're in the position the Flyers are in right now, it means even more. They have to get wins. And they're up against it. And it's going to be incredibly difficult to get into the postseason with uh, the position that they're in right now. It's not over but it'll be incredibly difficult. Let's get to Twitter questions. And um, you know, I, I just drove home from the game as I'm recording this and sat in traffic on 95 South in construction where they dump it down into one lane. So a little frustrated with my commute home tonight too, so I'm sure that'll help the cause here. All right, let's get to questions. Philly Talk TK says, at what point is it too late to come back from the deficit and the fact that it's time to look to the future? He said, I think we have a good team and we just need one or two pieces to sew up the holes. Um, yeah, I think there's talent here. I absolutely do. Does it fit, though? That's the question. There is talent here, and seemingly on paper, enough talent to win, and enough talent certainly not to be in the position that they're in. But again, does the talent fit? That's what Chuck Fletcher's got to figure out, along with his coaching staff. How do the pieces fit together? Do they fit together? And I think there are some pronounced holes. I think the hole as at, at the top pairing D— is, is a pronounced hole that you can't have as a hole in the NHL. And I think that you still need, you know, a depth forward that can bang. A lot of people still want a sniper. I get it. I, I do too. But I can't go for a one-dimensional player. I have to I get a guy that's a pure goal scorer that can play a, li a little bit in the neutral zone and the D zone. The problem is, is not there's not many of those guys out there. And when teams have one, they tend not to get rid of them. So it's not like you can just go out and get one. Uh, Mike H. tweets in. He says, will CF, Chuck Fletcher, actually be able to get value in return 
for the players he's about to trade away. Well, I mean, the guys that you look for in this in this situation, uh, we've talked about it, and listening to Thirty One Thoughts podcast and Elliot Friedman talk about it as well. Teams aren't willing to take on cap hit or term, especially with term and an expansion draft. So the UFAs for the Flyers um, are Eric Gustafson. They could they could trade him away as a depth add for a, for a team in the playoffs. You're not going to get much for him. I mean, you're really not. Uh, the other UFA defenseman is Sam Moran. I don't think you trade him away. I think you keep him here. You play him the rest of the year. You see what you have in him. I think he's playing pretty well right now. And I, some people know this. Some people don't. I was really skeptical about Sam at the NHL level um, being able to turn the body and be able to you know, handle the speed and skill that's in the game right now. But I got to say, and just and again, it's only a handful of games that he's played, but he's looked really good. And I thought, I thought in the game last night, he was really calm with the puck. I thought his physical presence is is sorely needed, and I, I think he's been fine. If he's a a five six defenseman, and he can give you what he's been giving you the last couple of games, then yeah. But but you need to see more to know that he'll be a UFA. But I don't move him. The forwards that are UFAs uh, this off season are Scott Lawton and Michael Roffel. If you're if you're going to sell, you can you can get something for both of those players. Um, Michael Roffel be a great depth piece for a team, a fourth liner that can bang, kill some penalties, and Scott Lawton is a guy that um, I think has tremendous value on the market. I can see a team like Toronto going after Scott Lawton. Uh, I was listening to Thirty One Thoughts and they mentioned what about Pittsburgh? Oof, Flyer fans, take a deep breath. <laughs> Now, it's not unprecedented that the Flyers have dealt a player that's ended up with the Penguins in the same season. It happened with a Flyers defenseman a few years ago, and he won a cup. It was Mark Streit, but he first went to Tampa, and then Tampa sent him to Pittsburgh. Would that have to happen with Lawton? I don't know, but obviously there's familiarity there with the general manager in Ron Hextall, and Brian Burke's the president there, and he loves players like Scott Lawton. Uh, If you can't get Lawton signed, and they don't have him signed at this point, that has to be a consideration. It, and look, if you can get a deal done in the offseason, you can bring him back. You can sign a contract here. But um, he's a guy that will yield you a return. There, there's teams that where that would make a lot of sense, absolutely, to add a player like Scott Lawton. I, I hate to lose him because I think he's a heart and soul guy. But if you're going to sell off some pieces, you're going to have to you know, sell off some pieces. Um, Brian Elliott, is he an option for a team that needs some depth goaltending? Perhaps. Absolutely. Perhaps. They'd have to probably, I guess you'd go with Carter Hart and Alex Lyon the rest of the way if you were deeming that to be the case. I mean, this is all a little premature at this point, too, but your RFAs, you're not going to deal. The other guy, though, is Justin Braun, but he's got a year on his contract beyond this year. So I think that maybe hinders the ability. But Justin Braun's not a guy that a team's going to worry about if they acquire him, that he's going to be plucked in expansion. So that's part, part of the equation as well. Um, so he doesn't doesn't make it too difficult from that that standpoint. Colin Newby tweets in. He says the Flyers defensemen frequently seem like they don't even look to cover forward standing in front of their net. How is that one of the first things you're taught in youth hockey, and it goes wrong so consistently for an NHL team? Oddly enough, Colin, th- that's an interesting question. But a lot of teams in the NHL now don't tie up guys in front of the net. They don't. They front them. And they don't. They leave the guy stand there and let the goalie just work around them. But they know 
through communication and through uh, strategy where they want to stand, if they want to stand in the middle. So if a goalie's getting screened, a goalie's always going to look to his short side first around the screen because you don't want to get beat short side, and there's less traffic and distance for the puck to travel short side. So the defenseman will then set up in the middle of the ice, and he will also give that forward that space more so in the middle. It, it's weird to think, but you're right. When you're as kids, you're taught to tie up the player and try and move him. That's not the strategy as as much in the NHL anymore. I, I find it insane too, um, but it's it's what some teams do. And I don't understand why, but it's it's what they've chosen. Drewski tweets in and says, who's most likely gets offloaded to a playoff contender first? He said, I would have to think Raffle with his team-friendly contract heading towards UFA status. Yeah, I think it's him and Lawton. I, I think those are the two that are the most likely. Uh, Gustafson is more inconsequential, but uh, it's it's Lawton and it's Raffle, and I think they're both attractive to different levels for teams you know, looking to, to grab a guy. Uh, Gary Matera tweets in. He says, was this the last straw for Fletcher? Possibly some vets being shipped off. Um, I, I think he's going to wait it out the week. I think that um, there's probably been conversations going on already, gauging of the market. You know, those conversations have been been underway, but we'll see how it plays out here over the next couple of days and, and just exactly how many players are available and what GMs are asking for in return. Because if they want to grab Taylor Hall or you want to grab another guy that's available, but the price is too steep, then that takes you into a different player, a different category. We'll have to see how that plays out. New Rourke City tw- tweets in, and first of all, good uh, good Twitter handle, the way you spelled it. Uh, he says, is there any indication that Chuck Fletcher sees what the fans see? He said, example, he's willing, likely to make changes. Um, he said, I think the fans are worried that things will stay status quo because so many things have seemingly been tolerated over the past six to seven years. Here, here's the way I would t- kind of term that, New Rourke City. Um, the general manager is no fool. <laughs> uh, these are people that are in hockey. The coach is no fool. And because they say certain things publicly, they're never going to throw their players, devalue their assets, or anything publicly. But they have eyes like you do. You know the game, New York City. If you're listening to this, you know the game of hockey. Do you think that you figured it out or we all figured it out and the people who make a living in hockey don't see it? Don't see what the issues are? They see it. They know. The question is, for a GM, the things that we don't know or that we're not as well-versed in is the contract situation over this year, next year, years in advance. Chuck Flesher has to play a long game. He has players that have deals expiring every year, and you have to make the puzzle pieces fit in a flat-cap world. You know, they see these things, and they'll try and make deals. And in a flat cap world, it's going to be more difficult. We'll see what he's able to accomplish. It's not going to be easy. But I think there's every indication in the world. Chuck Fletcher went to Harvard. His dad is a legendary general manager in the NHL for years and years and years in Cliff Fletcher. He's not oblivious to what you see, what I see, what we all see. He knows. 
and he's going to do everything he can to fix it. Um, Jake Jacuizzi, ITH, tweets in, and he says, what did Boston do to stop the Flyers offensively in the third after such a strong second period? Uh, it's frustrating watching such a great period followed by a lackluster third. Well, look, that's part of hockey, and I, I talk about this a lot. You know, the game is about getting momentum, keeping momentum. When you lose momentum, getting it back as quickly as possible and obtain, and, and keeping it again. But, look, there's another team on the other side with a lot of pride, and they're trying to do the same thing that you're trying to do. And the game is full of ebbs and flows. I know Jake Voracek talked about this the last couple of days and said, you know, the, the cliche of hey, you didn't play a full 60 minutes. You never play a full 60 minutes. Nobody dominates from opening face-off to final horn in the NHL. It doesn't work that way. That's just a cliche. Now, just because things in portions of a game don't go your way or it doesn't look like you know, the other team is on top of you and they have all the momentum and they're carrying play. It doesn't mean you're not trying. It doesn't mean you're not giving effort. It's, it's just the way it goes. You go through a period in the game where the opposition is dictating the terms on the ice, like the Flyers did in that second. What you have to hope for is that while you have the momentum, while you're dictating the play, is that you have, you know, something to show for it on the scoreboard. Because that's the worst. When you have the momentum, you are dictating play, you're dictating the terms, you're doing everything right, but you don't end up with any reward on the scoreboard. That's the hard part. They got rewarded in that second period. They got two goals and got the game tied. And then Boston played a really good third period. Alex Sheridan tweets in and says, in your opinion, is this season still salvageable? Yeah, it's still salvageable. There's still a decent amount of games left. And when you're playing against teams in your own division, yeah, things can change in the standings very quickly. So, yes, it is still salvageable. It's difficult because you're down to the final 18 games. And, it look, the process of the last couple of games has been good. You know, you're seeing a team much more defensively responsible. Forwards getting back and providing back pressure on rush attempts and, and odd man rushes from the opposition. I, I think a, there's been some good things in the last couple of games. But, you, again, we can't celebrate, hey, they look good, they just didn't get a win right now because of the position that they put themselves in in the standings. If that wasn't the case, then we could do that and in a normal 82-game season. But that's not the case. At Kizus tweets in and says, uh, gee, Claude Giroux, he enters the last year of his contract next year what does his next contract look like, especially with a Coots contract extension coming up? That's a really good question. I'm not sure. I don't know what that contract looks like. Um, I could see like a three-year deal uh, that's probably, I don't know, $6 million per, and that would be good value for the player you get. He's been really good this year, and he's worked his rear end off, and I, th I thought he came in looking a little faster and skating a little better than in the past couple of years and I think he's had a really good year I look he's he's not the most vocal leader a lot of guys aren't though that's not the way many many guys lead they lead through the way they practice and they play and he's vocal behind the scenes but you're just not going to get a guy that's going to go into press conferences and and give you you know this grandiose statement or anything like that all right, last question comes from Mark. He says, what do you think about A.V.'s comment on Hart? He said, I thought Hart was good tonight. Now, what A.V. said, he was asked about in his postgame press conference, as you heard, 
how would you evaluate Carter Hart? He said Carter Hart is a young goaltender playing a real tough position, and he's trying his best. Uh, I was surprised to hear that answer. Um, Look, I think a coach goes, okay, there's goals that you have to stop. There's some goals that are hard to stop. There are some that are impossible to stop. And I think two of the goals in the game, AV probably looked at and said, I'd like you to get a stop on those goals. We need to stop on those goals. And while in normal situation, you go, okay, that's a really hard save. And he made some really good saves. He made a great save in the second period on Pasternak after a giveaway from Phil Myers. Um, I, I think that he's in a tough love position right now with Carter based on his comments a week, week and a half ago, and now these comments, that I think he's just kind of saying, I'm holding you to a high standard. And he should, and that's good. And I, and look, Carter is playing a very tough position, and he is trying his best. Uh, but I, I think A.V. is just using it as to motivate the goaltender uh, even more so to keep working his butt off. All right, everybody, that's going to put a wrap on this episode of Flyers Daily. Everybody, have a great day. We'll be back at it tomorrow. We'll preview Flyers, Islanders, and much more. And we'll talk to you on tomorrow's brand-new episode of Flyers Daily. Sometimes I feel the fear of uncertainty stinging